Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the book of Chronicles, 1 Chronicles chapter 12. 1 Chronicles chapter 12, as we talk about discerning the times. This is a fascinating portion of scripture. What you're going to discover here is David is now, King David that is, he is in Hebron, Saul is dead, he is now to take the throne of Israel, and these men and uh, soldiers begin showing up at Hebron to uh, secure David's kingship. Now listen what it says. These are the numbers of the men armed for battle who came to David at Hebron to turn Saul's kingdom over to him, as the Lord had said. From Judah, carrying shield and spear. Now I want you to picture this list. From Judah, carrying shield and spear, 6,800 armed for battle. From Simeon, warriors ready for battle, 7,100. From Levi, 4,600, including Jehoiada, or Jehoda, the leader of the family of Aaron, with 3,700 men. In Zadok, a brave young warrior with 22 officers from his family. From Benjamin, Saul's tribe, 3,000, most of them who had remained loyal to Saul's house until then. From Ephraim, brave warriors, famous in their own clans, 20,800. From the half-tribe of Manasseh, designated by name to come and make David king, 18,000. Now listen to what happens here in verse 32. There's a total change of what's taking place. From Issachar, men who understood the times and knew what Israel was to do, 200 chiefs with all of their relatives under their command. From Zebulon, Zebulon, experienced soldiers prepared for battle with every type of weapon to help David with undivided loyalty, 50,000. Now look at verse 32 once again. In the midst of this talking about warriors and, and weapons, it says, from Issachar, men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. You know, 1 Chronicles chapter 12 records the ranks then of David's volunteer army. All total, they number some more than 340,000 people. I think it's very interesting that in the midst of this long list of warriors and of their weapons, we find this statement from Issachar, men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. Now Issachar, if you're wondering who he is, Issachar was the ninth son of Jacob. The tribe of Issachar was known for being a tribe of scholars. Its members studied the Torah and created the first Israelite calendar. So not only did they know the times and the seasons, they put it all in paper form. And so they had their calendar. They knew the times and the seasons. But the tribe of Issachar was in tune, both with their history as well as prophetically. Other tribes had their warriors. They had their weapons, which we just read about. The tribe of Issachar, on the other hand, possessed wisdom to know when and if they should use their weapons of warfare. From Issachar, 
men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. Now, friends, I believe, like the men of Issachar, the hour in which we live this morning calls for us to have an understanding of the times we're living in prophetically. I want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church of Thessalonica. He says, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, those who have died, other words, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Now history tells us that in the church of Thessalonica, they had been infiltrated by people that were telling the church that if you died, it's over, there's no hope for you, that there is no resurrection, there's no future, it's all over. And Paul writes to him and says, you need to know, you need to be discerning as of what God is saying. And God says that you should not sorrow even as others which have no hope, which was the pagans. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And Paul says, I want you to comfort one another with these words, discerning the times. Friends, I remind you once again this morning that time is not merely cyclical, but rather it is linear. We're not just going in circles as though we're on some kind of a merry-go-round. Every moment of every day, planet Earth is moving forward on a precise prophetic timeline. Year by year, month by month, day by day, hour by hour, and I would even say minute by minute, we are speeding forward towards the end of the age. Now this morning we're gonna spend some time investigating an incredibly interesting and important subject to us all, that being the rapture. Without a doubt, some of you are wondering just what is this rapture? And what, if anything, does the rapture have to do with me? Now there are two basic reasons why I'm preaching what I'm preaching this morning. First of all, I am absolutely convinced that the coming of the Lord could take place at any moment. And I sincerely believe that we're living in the last moments of time. I personally know of no biblical reason why the rapture couldn't happen today. And if this is true, there is certain information that you need to know. In the event that you're not ready for Christ's return so that you can get ready for his return here even this morning. The second reason that I'm preaching this message this morning pertains to a pastor's heart. There are many of you who hear my voice this morning whose names are on the roll of the church, but your heart belongs to the world. A church, this one or some other church has your name, but the world possesses your heart. So this morning I share this message so that you can get ready for the most amazing event this world will ever experience, the rapture. It's quite possible that you've never heard that term rapture before. And on the off onset here, it's important to note 
that the word rapture is not found in the Bible. It is a Latin word meaning to be caught up or to be caught away. It's a term that describes the catching up of the Christians from the earth to meet the Lord in the air, as it says in 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 17. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now for the Christian, it's gonna be a day of great joy. We're gonna hear the trump of God. The Bible says the trump of God will sound. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Gravity will lose its hold on the believer and follower of Christ. And we shall meet the Lord, the Bible says in the air. All of this in the twinkling of an eye will be translated from the earth to heaven. Now I need to warn you, however, that only those who are faithfully serving Jesus Christ are going to be raptured. The unbelieving, the rebellious, and the wicked will be left behind as the wrath of God is poured out on this earth for a seven-year period of time called the Great Tribulation. The wrath of man cannot be compared to the wrath of God. And the book of Revelation describes the horror of that time, and believe me, you will not want to be here. The book of Revelation speaks of seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls, all part of God's wrath. As a result of God's wrath being poured out in that hour, one half of the world's population will die. And the Bible says there would be none that would be able to withstand or exist had it not been that God will shorten the days thereof. Seven seals, seven bowls, seven trumps, each one of these in a training effect of judgment, one following right after another. Yes, you will not want to be here. The Bible says that no one but the Father knows the day and the hour of the rapture. However, the Bible does give us some signs that would indicate that the rapture is near. Now, I grew up in South Dakota, and over the years, I've made many trips back there to see my family. And as I traveled from here, leaving on I-94, I passed through Madison, and I know, check, I'm on my way. I've made it about 70 miles on my journey. Then as I get to the Wisconsin Dells, I know I've already now gone about 130, 140 miles. And as I get to Eau Claire, and then to Minneapolis, and from Minneapolis on to St. Cloud, and from St. Cloud on over to, uh, you know, the areas of the western part of, West, of uh, Minnesota, and all the way to Browns Valley, Minnesota, and I know I'm only 14 miles away, and then I'll see the sign, Sisseton, one mile away. And those checkpoints all along the way let me know that I'm getting closer and closer and closer. The Lord has given to us some markers just like that. And he said, when you see these events taking place, you can know that the end is near. And what are these uh, checks that he gave us? Number one, he said, there'd be wars and rumors of wars. Do you realize this morning, as of this day, at this very moment, there are 25 different wars and conflicts that are happening on the earth. You might say, well, I know about that which is going on in the Ukraine, but I don't know of any other. So, Pastor, what else is going on? Let me give you just a bit of a list here. The criminal violence is going on in Mexico, the instability of Venezuela, instability of Afghanistan, 
territorial disputes in South China Sea, North China crisis, instability in Pakistan, conflict between India and Pakistan, conflict over Taiwan, civil war in Myanmar. Then you'll find the war in Ukraine. You'll find the conflict in Syria, instability in Iraq, instability in Lebanon, conflict between Turkey and the armed Kurds. You'll also find Israel and Palestine conflict, civil conflict in Libya, war in Yemen, and the list goes on. Friends, just exactly what Jesus said is taking place at this moment. And he said, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, you should know it's one of the wayposts letting you know that we're getting close to the return of Christ and of the end. He said there would be an increase in earthquakes. Well, let me give you a couple of stats. First, for 2022, in the year of 2022, and all of this you can look up. It's all very readily available online. In 2022, there was 15,438 recorded earthquakes on planet Earth. In the year of 2023, there have been so far, as of yesterday, 7,632 earthquakes with a death toll for the year of 2023 already of 59,259, most of the deaths coming out of the earthquake in Turkey. He said, when you see earthquakes and divers in different places, he said, you should know that this is a sign. He said, there would be famine. Do you realize that there are 300 and 45 million persons facing starvation around the earth this morning. Add to that the fact there are 25,000 per day that are dying from starvation right now, every day this week. Tomorrow when you sit down to your meals and for every day throughout this week, I want you to pause for a moment. I want you to think about those that are around the world with absolutely nothing. And of the 25,000 that are dying from hunger each and every day, 10,000 of them are children. He said there would be famine, and there is famine in the land. He said there would be pestilence, COVID-19, its many variations. And science is always trying to stay one step ahead of the next pestilence and trying to help and guide the process of what would happen when the next outbreak of one sort or another takes place. When Jesus made these statements, I'm sure they wondered when and how or where are they going to happen. And they're happening right before our very eyes. Jesus said there'd be a hatred towards believers, that they would have an intolerance towards what you believe and what I believe and what the Bible says. They would have no time for you, no time for your words, no time for your Bible, and they would want you to stay behind locked and closed doors if you want to serve your Jesus. There'd be hatred towards believers. Jesus said that wickedness would abound. You know, wickedness by definition literally means lawlessness. And so there'd be a lawlessness, there'd be, you know, no standard by which man would take and guide their conduct. There would be lawlessness against the laws of the land, the laws of God, in school or any other place there would be just lawlessness. And he said it would be like the days of Noah and of Lot. 
He said, as it was, so if you want to get some kind of a, a picture of what it's going to be like just before he returns, he says, go back in the Old Testament, go back and find the days of Noah and of Lot and see what's there, and it will give you a picture of what it's going to look like just prior to my return. And so if you go back into the book of Genesis chapter 6 and look at Noah and the flood, here's what you'll discover. If I could only use one word to describe Noah's day, it would be violence. He said the world and the earth was filled with violence. So much so that the Bible says God was so broken over it. He repented that he ever made man. And then as a result of it, you know and I know, he sent the worldwide flood because of the violence that was all over the earth. So Noah's day, if I were to use only one word, I would say violence. Lot's day, if I were to summarize what was going on in the time of Lot, in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, I would use the term perversion. And I would add to it sexual perversion. He says, then, when you see violence, small town just north of where I grew up, Fargo, North Dakota, three of their officers shot yesterday or the day before. Violence, sexual perversion, being proud, haughty, care less what anyone says or thinks about it. He said, when you see the days of Noah and Lot being replayed before your very eyes, you can know that you are at the very end of the age. And as a result of that, Jesus is saying we must be ready then at all times. Because he's coming in an hour, the Bible says, when we think not. He is coming like a thief in the night. When I think of that phrase when Jesus said he's coming in an hour and we think not, I wonder what would cause us not to be thinking about Jesus' return? Why would we be caught so off guard? What would be going on that would cause us to have no real recognition of the times, the season, or discerning of the times and I've come to the conclusion it's just everyday busy life. Going to your job, some of you work eight hours, some of you work 12, some work 40 hours, 60 hours, 80 hours a week. And you work, put food on the table, a roof overhead, and you buy a car and now you've got to maintain the vehicle and insure the vehicle and gas for the vehicle. And I mean, just life becomes almost taking over. And every day when you get up, it's not even what you want to do that day. You're doing what you're finding yourself. You must do just to keep things rolling. As a result of that, we get so busy thinking about the world and the world things that we forget all about this, this whole world is spinning every moment towards a conclusion. Jesus said he's going to come like a thief in the night. The events of that moment when Jesus returns will beggar the description of man. Truth at that moment will once again be stranger than fiction. Stephen King Rod Serling or Steven Spielberg, 
They cannot match the script that God has written. Let's go back to our text one more time. In verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians, it says, but I would not have you ignorant, brethren. I would not have you living life not knowing, not discerning the times and the season. I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, those that have died, that you sorrow not, even as the others, which are the pagans, which have no hope. And by the way, a pagan is somebody that does not know that God exists and that he loves this world so much he sent his son to die on a cross for us. That's a pagan. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. Paul wants it clear. This is not coming from his mind. It's not a group of disciples that got together and they decided, you know, we need to have a little conversation about this and this is what the storyline must be when we talk to people. He said, no, this I say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Now let's go back and take that portion of Scripture and let's put this into a sequence of events. First of all, you'll discover here in the sequence of events, Jesus is going to return for his bride. Well, you say, who is the bride? Why would Jesus be coming for a bride? The Bible tells us that those that belong to Christ, those who have committed their lives to Jesus Christ, they become the bride, corporate bride of Jesus Christ. And he is absolutely head over heels in love with the bride. That's you, that's me, that's every believer on planet earth. And there's not a day I believe in heaven that he does not have an anticipation and an excitement that he'll receive the nod of the Father which knows the day and the hour and say to the Son, today you can go get your bride. And the Bible says here, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel of the trump of God. Now I want you to notice, first of all, that it is the Lord himself who returns from heaven to usher home his bride. This is not given to a archangel, it's not given to a cherubim or cherubim or one of the many angels or angelic forces to do so. The Lord himself is going to return. This is one task he's going to do only on his own. Now listen to what it says in John chapter 14. Jesus reaffirms this fact that he himself is going to come. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. You know, a promise is never any better than the person making the promise. And so this promise was given to us, not by Paul, not by the apostles, but by Jesus Christ himself, who cannot and will not lie and will not deceive. He says, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, here it is, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now the Bible says, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. Now wondering minds want to know what that shout was. And I've tried to think of all kinds of things. What would he be saying in this shout when the father says, go get your bride? And the best I can come up with is, Yahoo! Now that may not seem spiritual enough for some of you, so I have a secondary, and that is, arise, my beloved, amen. And one way or another, he is coming for his own, amen. Now the Bible says there will also be a resurrection. Listen to what it says in verse 16. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Remember, the church of Thessalonica had been told that if you're dead, you're dead. It's over. There is no more. And Paul is saying, I want you to understand God's plan, not only for the living, but also for those who have died in Christ. Listen to Jesus' own words here in John chapter 5 about this. He says, for as the Father hath life in himself. Think about that. It was God that formed man from the dust of the ground in the Garden of Eden, then blew the breath of life within him, and the Bible says he became a living soul. God is the source of life. All human life has come from God. That child, every child, you and I, and every child globally that's ever been in the womb was created by God. He makes no mistakes. And that first little breath, was the breath that God gave to Adam, and it's the breath he has given to each and every one of us. So Jesus says, as the Father hath life in himself, so he hath granted the Son, that is Jesus, capital S-O-N, to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice. And come out, those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. Notice, both the living and the dead are going to stand before the Lord. Now sadly, and I believe that even in this room right now, and those who have joined us online, there are those of you that have gone through the deep, deep, dark tunnel of having lost a loved one that has taken their own life. In a moment of deep despair, in a moment of hopelessness, in a moment of great deep depression, when everything seemed to be wrapping around them and there seemed to be no way out, in that moment they believed the lie that if I just end it now, it's all over forever. No more pain, no more confusion. I'll just take care of this thing on my own right now. It's a deception. The Bible says those who will be risen, some will come for life, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. The resurrection of the dead that is associated, however, with the rapture will not be a general summons for all who have died. Rather, this resurrection will be exclusively for the dead in Christ 
and you say, who is the dead in Christ? That is those who have died faithfully following Jesus during their lifetime. The wicked dead will be raised to life, but at a later time to be judged at what the Bible calls the great white throne judgment. Believers are going to be raptured. You know, the Apostle Paul, he explains the next event in the rapture sequence this way. He says, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. You know, that phrase caught up in the original Greek means to be snatched away or to be led away speedily. The emphasis in that portion of Scripture is on the sudden nature of the event. Suddenly gone, young believers. Suddenly gone, old believers. Suddenly gone, American believers, European believers, Asian believers, Latin American believers, Christians worldwide. Gone in a moment and the twinkling of an eye. For the child of God, the rapture is going to be unimaginable joy. However, for those who are left behind, it's going to be a day of terror and confusion. Husbands looking for their wives. Wives looking for their husbands. Parents searching for their children. Children searching for their parents. The Bible says it's going to be a time of separation. Jesus talked about separating the the sheep from the goats, the wise from the unwise, from the foolish to those that have lived a godly life. It's going to be a time of separation, and it's going to happen instantaneously. Matthew chapter 24, verses 40 to 42. Jesus described it this way. He said, two shall be in the field, one shall be taken, the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, the other left. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. If I were to put that in modern vernacular, two will be sitting on the couch. One's going to be taken, the other lost. Two are going to be working on an assembly line. One's going to be taken, the other left. Two driving down the highway together, side by side, one taken. The other left. It's going to be a sudden thing. You know, the Bible talks about a great reunion that's going to take place. Look at it there in verse 17. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together. Notice the together with them, that is the believing dead who have risen in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Think about the reunion that's going to happen in that moment. And the Bible says, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. You know, in Revelation chapters 5, 6, 7, and then as you get towards the end of the book of Revelation, it gives us little pictures of what heaven is going to be like. And the Bible says there's going to be no tears in heaven. There's going to be no sorrow in heaven. There's going to be no death in heaven. There's going to be no separation again ever in heaven. There will be no sin in heaven. And the one that brings the light to the city is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The Bible says the glory of the Lord is going to light the city. He said, I want you to comfort one another with these words. It's no wonder then that the rapture is called the blessed hope of the church. 
It's the hope that we have this morning. This world is not our home. We are on a journey, and the journey is one where it goes with us from earth to glory. We're on a journey. And there are those that have gone through the doorway of death, and they are now, the Bible says, to be absent of the bodies, be present with the Lord. But in the interim period of time, their bodies are in the grave, and the body and the soul are going to be united once again. And what a reunion that's going to be. And the Bible says, we're going to know as we are known. We're going to see each other, know each other. What a day that's going to be. He said, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Let me close with a picture. The picture is that of at the cemetery in Sisseton, South Dakota, of my mother. That's my mother's casket there. All the young people you see on the backside of the casket, that's all my nephews, nieces, that's only a part of them. There were 147 of us that gathered, all family, all brothers, sisters, sister-in-laws, you know, nephews, nieces. And we all gathered around grandma's casket that day, my mom. And I couldn't help but think, the hope that I will see her again is all found in the fact of what we just read. That one day there's going to be a reunion. This casket will not hold the body of my mother. When he says, arise. As we were driving back to the church, as they often do, the church had prepared a lunch for us. And as we were leaving the cemetery, before we even got to where you see the evergreens in the background there, that's where the main road is. I said to my wife, Sherry, there's only one person that could have ever pulled this whole group together. My father passed away back in 1999. And so now, mom was the only one that could pull all the family together. And I said, with mom gone, I don't think I'll ever see the day where there'd be a crowd like that representing all families, all nephews, nieces, all great-grandchildren, all gathered there. Well, we've gotten together, but it's been small little clusters. You know, this part of the family and that part of the family. And I mean, we still do that. I just had a wonderful time with my brother Wesley as we traveled to see family in Norway together. I mean, so there's parts of the family and there's no animosity, it's not that. It's just that no one could be the hub that pulls all of them together. <laughs> Let me tell you, there's only one that can pull us all together. There's only one, there's only one, there's only one. And that is Jesus Christ himself. And the Bible says, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. And all the signs are lined up and all the signs are saying, get ready, get ready, get ready. Even my six-year-old granddaughter came to me and said, Grandpa, I had a, I had a dream. 
In this dream, I saw Jesus in the sky. Some of your kids have come to me. And they too are saying, there's, there's dreams, there's, there's things that the Lord is saying, trying to get us ready. Your name can be on the roll of this church, and it's not going to get you to heaven. Because your name can be on this roll, but your heart belongs to the world. And today I'm saying it's time to get your heart and your head and your everything aimed towards heaven. We steer where we stare. If you're staring at the world, you're going to steer for the world. If you're steering in any other direction this morning other than heaven, when your stare is heaven, you're steering every day towards heaven. Time is short, eternity's long. God loves you, God's got a plan. Hell was never made for mankind, it was made for the devil. It was made for the fallen angels. But if you listen to his lies and follow him, that's your end. But if you choose, and the Bible says, choose ye today whom you will serve. If you choose the Lord, one day he will say, arise. And for those that love God and have gone to the grave, their body and their soul be united. And for those that are living and remain, we shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the sky. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Would you bow your heads, please, Father?